Well, we're going to turn to the Word of God this morning, and, and like I've been saying for weeks, I hope that, that you're coming prepared and ready to make the most of this moment. I believe the Lord is speaking to us during this time, and so let's, let's hear what he has to say as we continue our series, Devoted, our, our subtitle, our, our purpose is that we're aiming to find joy in the spiritual disciplines. I've talked about this, this goal of spiritual disciplines, all the things I'm talking about week in and week out in this series, is so that you would find the joy of flourishing in godliness. There is joy to be had in our lives. There's joy to be had even when difficult and hard situations come to us, and they will come to us in this life, and yet the Lord intends for you and I to be people of joy because we know him, we know who he is, we know what he's doing ultimately in this world. We're pursuing true joy. We're, we're pursuing this fullness of what God has created us to have. And, and to do that this morning, I want us to go to a book that you might not immediately connect with the idea of joy. If you have your Bible, flip over to Lamentations chapter 3. If you have your Bible, flip to Lamentations chapter 3. If you're not overly familiar with this book, what's going on here is Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, has written this text, this book of Lamentations, as expressions of grief and mourning. The, the chapters in this book are five poems that he wrote to express these deeply felt emotions that he was having, this wrestling with evil and pain and hurt and loss and all of those things. And he's not just expressing them, kind of venting out the negative feelings. He's He's actually working to combat them and lead him back towards finding the joy and the trust and the assurance of who God is that he knows he ought to have, the assurance and trust that I want us to have as we are his people too, who would look to God and trust God in our lives. So in chapter 3, the first 20 verses here, Jeremiah is pouring out this lament. He's recalling his afflictions and his pains and his sufferings. And then in verse 21, he writes this, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So what follows here, the things he's going to say next, are what Jeremiah is intentionally calling to his mind, reminding himself and wanting to put into practice to combat the difficulties and the emotions of everything that he's feeling in this broken world that he's, he's not just hypothetically facing, I, Lord, there could be problems. No, he, he's feeling them and he's living in them. So look at verses 22 to 28 with me. He writes, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid upon him. I was meditating on this text, primarily because of verses 26 to 28, as I was thinking about our topic for today, this eighth spiritual discipline that I want to commend to you and I want to talk about how to implement in our lives is the discipline of finding silence and solitude. Finding silence and solitude. Now, written about 586 B.C., this text in Lamentations refers to a good that people need to have in their lives. And it's a good that I, I don't believe to be just back for that day, that, that moment in world history and in those cultures that were there. I believe it's a good that is no less important today in modern society. In fact, perhaps it's even more necessary to us today than it ever has been before. You and I, we live in this hyper-connected, very busy, and if we're paying attention to it, very noisy world. But I think many of us fail to realize just how noisy the world really is day by day. 
We've become accustomed to it. It's just natural and normal to us. The longer we live in it, the harder it is to recognize. It takes something bigger to usually open our eyes to just how much noise we live by a day-by-day basis. Something like moving to a new location can open our eyes sometimes to, to what it is we've been normally experiencing. I can, I can distinctly remember we lived in Springfield, Missouri for, for many years, and we lived in different places in Springfield, Missouri. In fact, when we moved here, my wife made it very clear she did not want to move as much as we had moved around in Springfield. But we would notice there was a difference just based on the city where we were living at the time. There was different levels of noise that, that were around us. When Millie and I first got married, we, we lived in this little apartment complex called The Greens, right off of Highway 65 and James River Freeway. And, and, and the complex was built on a, a golf course. It was, it was a nice place, fairly close to our school, close to the highway, so we could get to the other side of town where our church was pretty easily. And we had our own little 667 square feet of you know, place to be our own. The complex had multiple buildings. The building we were in was towards the, the, the back of it, so you had to kind of drive down through the golf course. Beautiful drive in towards the back. And what that meant was there was a, a fairway and green behind us, and then the highway was just over the other side of that. So anytime we'd step out of our little apartment, you would hear the, the dull roar of, of traffic on the highway, right? Just kind of going back and forth right over there. But we could get out of our apartment. We could walk north up towards the, the rest of the course, and it'd get quieter and quieter. And so we, we took a lot of walks, talking in those early years of our marriage. It was, it was nice to get away from our apartment and away from the noise a little bit that, that was just kind of there. We lived in that apartment for about a year, and then we decided to move closer to our church, which was on the the other side of town. And so we moved five blocks from the church that we were attending and and working at. And uh, we were very close, if if you know Springfield at all, to Glenstone Avenue and Battlefield. And those are busy, busy roads. And so walked out of that rental house that we had there, and it didn't matter which way I walked, go north, south, east, west, it was just, you could hear traffic all the time. Sirens going, horns honking, lots of horns honking because of traffic, congestion, things like that. Just couldn't get out of the noise. We were there for just under a year uh, renting that home, and we realized the market was in a place where we should look at, at buying a home. And so it was our first home, and we were, we were you know, young and, and newly married, hadn't been uh, blessed with much resources at that point in our life yet. And so I had to look for a starter home. We found this, this great little neighborhood just over to the east side of town on the other side of, of James River Freeway. It was, a, it was a neighborhood built to be starter homes. And so all these houses, houses were, were, were nice, but, but small and comfortable. And we, we bought one of those, moved in, and found out very quickly part of the reason why the value was a little lower in that area was we were right next to James River Freeway, and the city had, had noticed there's a lot of noise that will travel here. So they built sound walls. I mean, we were so close that if that sound barrier wasn't there, we, we could have walked down onto the freeway. Like, so we were right next to it. So it really didn't matter at that point in our lives if we were inside or outside. You always heard the traffic. Tobiah was born, I'd be rocking him at night, and we'd hear a siren go off or horns blaring out on the highway, and I'm just praying, Lord, don't let him wake up, don't let him wake up, you know, just trying to, to keep him asleep. It was, it was a little noisier than we thought. We lived there for a few years, and we decided, as we knew our family was going to grow, that, that we wanted to look at another home, and so we sold that house. We bought a house in a little bit older neighborhood, more established, and the biggest thing to us when we were in that neighborhood was on the south side of town where it was, it was older and quieter and, and much quieter. And we could take walks in the neighborhood and not hear the, the traffic, and there, there wasn't nearly the noise that we had kind of grown accustomed to for these years of living in Springfield, and then we moved here, and we learned what quiet really was. <laughs> You know, there's a point of, of quiet where I know you're coming because I hear you exiting D in your cars, right? Like, oh, hey, something's different. There's noise uh, going on. Someone's, someone's on the way. 
Look, I say all, all of this because we don't often notice how noisy the world really is. But you and I, we probably notice it less than people who live in a city. But what I want to talk about today, this, this idea of finding the discipline of silence and solitude, it's not just living outside the city, as nice as that is for us. It's not something you have. This discipline, you're not accomplishing it just because you live here. It's going to take a little deeper work to find and benefit from this discipline the way the Lord would have us do. Listen again to, to what the text says in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him, let him sit alone in silence when it is laid upon him. What Jeremiah is doing is he's transitioning from being overwhelmed to how hard and, and busy and, and noisy even life can be. He's transitioning by acknowledging that you and I need to learn the discipline of waiting quietly upon the Lord. And there's three things he mentions in these three verses that, that are difficult things. There's waiting, verse 26. There's being quiet or in silence, verses 26 and 28. And then there's the part of being alone that he mentions in verse 28. Now, we could break down all three of those, but I don't think I need to convince anyone that waiting can be hard in this life. You know that. I know that. Wendy and I were talking about that this morning. She said, you know, it's, it's a good thing we're singing this song because I, I need that. I need to remember to wait upon the Lord in my own life. So this morning, we're going to focus on the second and third things, being quiet or silent and being alone or in solitude. Look, real silence can be hard for humans. It can be uncomfortable for us. I'm not just talking about audible silence, though that's certainly easier for some of us than it is for others. So if you, if you know me well, you know I'm, I'm okay with, with sitting in a little bit of silence with other people around. Margaret, on the other hand, is not quite as comfortable. She will fill the silence at some point, right? But we're not just talking about audible silence here. Some of you are, are comfortable with audible silence. What, what we're talking about when we're talking about true silence and finding this discipline of silence and solitude is we not only have to combat the external noise that's all around us, but that external noise, it's actually producing internal noise in us as well. And this is what we need to drive at. How many of you have been in a situation where it may be quiet audibly around you? Maybe, maybe the kids have gone to bed and it's quiet, or maybe you're in the car alone and it's, it's quiet, but, but inside your mind, it's anything but quiet. You have the noise going on of the news, of Facebook, of Instagram, or Twitter, or email, or text messages, or songs just playing in your head, or maybe you're thinking about like the book you've been reading, or the television show that you're watching, or maybe it's quiet around you, but, but inside your mind, it's just spinning and working, focus on the task that you're doing with your hands. There's a type of internal noise that can draw our focus away, even when the external world around us is audibly quiet. In this way, I think this discipline is more important now than at any point in history because the world is not only designed to produce more external noise, but those external noises are designed to create internal noise in us now. Like social media is built and billions and billions of dollars are invested in making it addictive to you that it would lodge into your mind and make you think about it when you're not looking at it. That, that you may not have your device on you, but something will pop in your mind. I need to check that. I want to see the update on that. I wonder what the latest is on that. And it's not just social media. Our news organizations do this to us today too, right? Like the whole use of the whole stay tuned to here or just ahead, this is coming. These little previews, they're not really for our benefit. They're designed to keep us engaged. They want our attention. They want our time. 
If you read the news, the article, the headline articles you see, they give you just enough information. They reveal just a little bit about something. They pose a question you might want answered. Or they, they do, if you've seen the ones now, like you'll never believe what someone said about, and that's the headline, right? And the, the, the idea is they, they want to draw you in. They want your time. They want your attention. They want your focus. They want to get some internal noise playing. TV shows do the same thing, right? They put those miniature little cliffhangers right before the commercial. Why? So you'll stay around for the commercial. The episode or the season ends, something's unresolved, so you'll come back the next time. I mean, Marvel's figured it out, right? We'll put a 30-second preview of the next thing that's coming down the road at the end of our credits, and what do we do? We're already looking forward to, what's the next thing? We haven't even finished enjoying this one show or movie, and we're already like, wow, can you, what's going to happen on the next one? They get in our minds to create this noise to keep us engaged. Finding internal silence, I think, is getting harder for each generation of humanity as we progress because the external world is getting louder and more aggressive in fighting for our attention. So learning to sit in true silence with nothing external controlling us, none of those internal demands for our attention overwhelming us, that's what we need to talk about as we talk about silence and solitude and these two disciplines really being one discipline put together. This spiritual discipline, much like I talked about last week with fasting, if you remember that message, is designed to help you and I find space where we're not occupied listening to lesser things, taking in those input from those external sources, so that you and I could spend more of our time, more of our energy focused on thinking about speaking to and hearing from God specifically. If I could put it a little simply for you, silence and solitude are about withdrawing from the lesser voices in this world to focus more fully on God's voice. That's what we're aiming for here. And this is the key to really understanding how to find the right spiritual benefits and seeking out silence and solitude in your own life. It's absolutely foundational to get this if you're going to find joy in this discipline. Silence and solitude are not about being fully alone. They're about being fully present with God. You have to understand that. and You have to want that and long for that if this discipline is going to do anything helpful for you. Well, getting away from other people and just being alone in a quiet place physically, that's not the point of the discipline. And all of us introverts are disappointed. We are hoping that's what it was, right? We love that. It's okay. No, the point of the spiritual discipline of seeking silence and solitude out is to be with God without the distractions of other things and even other people. We really need to find a balance with this in our lives in order to properly and fully live as the Lord intends. Finding these times is actually so important to human flourishing that Jesus, God himself who took on human flesh, regularly had times of silence and solitude during his earthly ministry. We could look at many examples, but I just want to give you a few from the gospel accounts. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. We read, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Matthew 14, 23 tells us, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Morning and then evening, two different examples, the Lord intentionally went to find places of silence and solitude. Or even think about his actions in the hours leading up to the most important moments in all of history itself. Right before his arrest and the mock trials and his crucifixion, we read in Matthew 26, 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And not only did he bring the disciples there, but, but watch what he does. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. 
Even in that moment where he, he wanted his friends near, he wanted the disciples near, but he still, he still took a few steps away, went a few steps farther to find silence and solitude to focus on his prayer. And not only did Jesus practice this, not only can we look at him and see, well, if the perfect one did this as a model for us, it should be very important. But Jesus also very clearly taught his disciples this was necessary for them too. Right after he had sent them out in ministry, we read about this in Mark chapter 6, when the disciples returned to him, verse 31 of Mark chapter 6 says, Jesus said to them, now come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. From both his example and his instruction, it's very clear Jesus understood we need silence and solitude in our lives. And he didn't separate the disciples out based on the introverts and the extroverts, right? <laughs> like half of you really need some silence and solitude, but the other, you're good. No, he, he did this for everybody. They needed silence and solitude in their lives. Jesus needed it in his earthly ministry. His disciples all needed it in their earthly ministry. As humans, you and I need these times of silence and solitude, to set our focus fully upon God, to have our relationship with him put above everything else in our life. If we go back to Lamentations chapter 3, there in verse 27, he notes, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He's saying it's good for us to learn this skill when we are young, to learn how to sit alone in silence. That's something you and I, we need to be teaching our kids, but it's difficult. I know it's difficult for, for my kids. You know, it doesn't take long before they're wanting something. Can we play a song? Can we do this? You know, just sitting in quietness, so very quickly we're hearing the, I'm bored, go on, right? You're, you're with me? For some of us, we're not really that much different than kids. We might just not say it as dramatically as they say it. It can be hard to learn to sit in silence but we need to learn how to do this. And those of us who are parents, let me, let me encourage you first, if you understand and you can see the benefits of this from Scripture and from what we're talking about in something like this today, you need to learn to practice this first before you make your kids do it, okay? <laughs> right? Model for them the, the joy that can be found in this. Model for them the goodness of this, but encourage your kids to learn this skill. It's necessary for the health of their souls, and I guarantee you it won't be any easier when they get to be adults to now pick up the skill. It's not easier for you now than it would have been when you were a kid, right? But these phrases in these verses, they reminded me and they led me to another place in Scripture that I thought was important, where Jesus used similar language to language I found in both of these, the command that he gave to his disciples and this text from Lamentations. Listen to how Jesus talks in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden.'" And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, you've seen the texts on the, the screen. You see them here. So maybe you see the, the connection. It was so striking to me as I was thinking about it. This discipline is referred to in Lamentations as a yoke, right? Something that they need to be learned and put on. It's better in youth, but it's never too late. And then in Mark, 30, uh, Mark 6, 31, where Jesus told his disciples, hey, come with me for silence and solitude. He said, why? The purpose was what? To find rest. And here in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus brings these two things together, inviting you and I, all of his disciples, to come to him and experience that, to find rest in him. Silence and solitude with Jesus gives our souls the rest that they really need. 
When we find our rest in him, what we're finding is a renewal of our strength. We're finding our relationship with him is built up. This rest is why you and I, we need to learn to practice this discipline. You and I and every person that exists, we need to take moments to rest in Christ and be restored by him. That's what he gives us when we're with him. That's what he says, right? He calls to us, those of us who feel so heavy and so burdened, so worn out, he calls us, come to me, find rest in me. What I will give you is not more burdens, not more to-do lists, not more, not more stress. I give you rest and peace. I'm gentle and kind and merciful, the way we sang about this morning. And when we're confident with Jesus, when we've spent a lot of time with Jesus, that's where we can sing and really experience that song. It is well with my soul, though the storms may rage around me, though everything may be a loss around me. It's well because why? I have Jesus. And he gives peace. We're secure with him. So this discipline of silence and solitude is designed, it's designed to get you and I, all of us, there to that place, to help us experience that type of peace and rest. And this is what's so beautiful. When you and I are rested in Jesus, when we're finding that refreshment from him, we actually then begin to live in the joy that God intends for our lives, no matter if we're in happy or sad circumstances. He, we know he's with us. We feel his presence restoring us. This is the great goal of practicing spiritual disciplines. It's all in Christ who invites us, come. So to do that, to come to Jesus and experience these things, we are going to have to push back against the busyness of life that will rob us of so much of our focus and our time and our attention and keep us from truly obtaining the fullness of joy in this life that God wants for us. So how do we do this well? Here's how I want us to think about applying this in our lives. I find the warning and the counsel of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the the German pastor and theologian who was killed by the the Nazis at the end of the war because of his work in opposing and trying to end Adolf Hitler's rule. Bonhoeffer writes these words that are so helpful and so pointed about the discipline of silence. He says, There is a view which misrepresents silence as a ceremonial gesture, as a mystical desire to get beyond the word. This is to miss the essential relationship of silence to the word. Silence is the simple stillness of the individual under the word of God. We keep silence solely for the sake of the word, not in order to show disregard for the word, but rather to honor and receive it. I like this, and it connects exactly with what I said last week with fasting. You and I have to attach these physical disciplines, these things I'm urging you to build into your life and your schedule and your routines, you have to attach them to hearing from and speaking to God. Just being alone or having audible quietness around you will not provide you any spiritual benefit unless you focus your mind and your heart upon the Lord in prayer and in hearing him through his word. Like, this has to be primary in everything we do. That's why week one was starting with Scripture. I told you everything is going to come back to that. You have to leverage Scripture in every one of these disciplines, or they're not Christian disciplines. And I want to stress this today to you, because a lot of writers and a lot of people who talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual exercises like this today, they can get carried off into false parts of spirituality instead of making solid Christian application. And I want you to be on guard for that. What Bonhoeffer was saying is that we should not practice silence and solitude like a pagan who thinks, 
If I just quiet myself and do certain things, I'll get some new divine message from some power that exists above me. We can't view silence and solitude as, as the meditative techniques of Eastern religion, that we're going to open up to something that God wants to say that's just not found in the pages of Scripture. That's not what we're talking about. Even some Christian writers will get off base here, and they'll talk about the goal or the way to start doing this is to try and empty your mind completely, like Eastern religions teach, or advocating the use of nonsensical tones, like sitting there and going, um, right? Like, you've seen that. You've seen this in movies and stuff, and some Christian writers say, that's the stuff you need to do, or, or you need to practice hand techniques. Sit with your palms up when you want to think a thought and put your palms down when you want to receive a thought. And so you sit and you practice palm up and palm down and things like that. Some, some writers even talk about doing yoga poses and stretches so you can open your body and your mind together. I mean, I've read this kind of stuff in books that I found otherwise to be good and helpful books, and then I get to this and I'm going, where are you going? <laughs> Why are you running so far away from the primacy of Scripture? I mean, there's at least four books I've read on this topic in the last several months that I just won't recommend and I won't give out because when they got to this, it was like, where, where have you gone? Who have you been reading? Like, you don't need to do any of these techniques like that. And let's be really clear, doing them will not open your mind anymore to God, really. You might open your mind to some spiritual power, some demonic influence, but it's not God. He is not sitting back broadcasting special information on some frequency that you have to tap into with a special posture or process. That's Gnostic-laced heresy if you see it being taught. The Christian view is not that you empty your mind with meditative techniques. It's that you are filling your mind with a focus on God and his word. That's practicing Christian silence and solitude. Bonhoeffer is very right on this. He's very clear. For the Christian, we practice silence and solitude to honor and receive the word. And if we do not do that, we're missing the point. Like I said last week, you have to connect the discipline to engaging and hearing from the word of God and speaking to God in prayer. And so to do that, we will need to set things aside. We will need to combat the draw of external noise. And we'll need to learn to control the internal noise that's been created in us. We will have to do things. But there are many different ways, and they're all going to be personal ways, that this is going to work best in your own life. So I'll use my wife as an example. And I did give her a heads up that I was using her as an example. She's home this morning because Tobiah woke up at 5 and um, was sick. And so she had to, to stay home, but I told her, Gave her the, the short version of the sermon and mentioned I'll be using her as an illustration. She didn't object, so here we go. Malia is an outdoor person. If you know her at all, you know that that is true. And times of silence and solitude for Malia, they come very easily to her when she takes a walk, especially if she can get to go out on a trail or go somewhere that's more scenic. I mean, our normal walks for her are going up 113 here to the stop sign and back and doing that a bunch of times over and over. And that's fine. It's definitely a lot better when you got stuff growing in the field. That It's a lot more... <laughs> Anyway, if she can get out in nature, it's much better for her. In that way, Malia is very much like these great believers of the past who see that there's a right and useful benefit of being in nature to cause us to admire and appreciate what we can see and feel and experience. And that leads her and others to push their thoughts up, not just to, wow, how beautiful creation is, but how amazing the creator who made the beautiful creation is. Jonathan Edwards is one who understands and appreciated the, the nature, the way Malia does. Reflecting on Edwards' early years, he writes this, At night, I often used to sit and view the moon for a long time. And in the day, I spent much time sitting, viewing the clouds and the sky to behold the sweet glory of God in those things. 
While sitting, I would sing forth with a low voice my contemplations of the Creator and Redeemer. This marked Edward's early life, he said. And that love for sitting and viewing the skies kind of developed and grew over the years. And later in his life, he would talk about taking rides and walks in nature. He mentions many times in his journals, you can read of him, saying things like, Having gotten off from my horse in a quiet and remote place, as my manner commonly has been, I would then take long walks for divine contemplation and prayer. I read that, and every time the thought enters my mind, I'm just waiting for the day when Malia comes home and says, I would like a horse so I can <laughs> go ride and add this to my love of the outdoors. We're hopefully a long way off from that. But perhaps you are wired like Malia or like Jonathan Edwards, and, and taking silence and solitude comes more naturally to you when you get outside into nature's, when you walk around your house area or you go off to a favorite park or things like that. Maybe those are places where you find it's easier and more natural to be alone with God in his creation, to pray and to think about his word. And if that's you, do that. Make time for that. I mean, Malia's really good about this, and she's gotten to the point where she's just confident enough to, to say to me, hey, I need to take a walk. I need you to, to watch the kids for a little bit so I can have 30 minutes outside so I can go think and pray and reflect. And, and so I know that's good for her, and so I want to support her in that, and I try to empower her to, to do that as much as I can. But maybe you're thinking, okay, great, you know, good for Malia, good for Edwards, whatever, but I don't have a horse and I don't like to be outside that much. So it might not resonate with you as much, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. My preferences for places of silence and solitude, they're almost always indoors. <laughs> like, I really prefer to find silence and solitude by sitting in a comfortable chair with a nice cup of tea or coffee next to me. And I'm great. If we have a window with a good view to look out of, awesome. But I am just as happy. Sometimes I'm even more happy to look over at bookcases filled with books and let that motivate my heart, right? I mean, also, I can look at books and I go, wow, I've got this, uh, all these words written about the God who's worthy of all these words being written about him. Like, that's humbling to think about for me. And so it moves me to pursue him and find silence and, and solitude. My, my study, my office is a place where I can enjoy that. I can find my heart moved towards that. We have an armchair upstairs in the bedroom of, of the house over there. That's a place where I try to find silence and solitude. It's often I can sit there late at night or early in the morning before the rest of the family is up and around. But I, I know where to go when I need a place of silence and solitude. I know where I should go to stir my heart for that. And it's personal to me. Don't come to my bedroom and sit in my armchair, please. It'd be weird, right? Find your place. <laughs> find your place. But find it. And use it. Wherever it is best for you to engage in this discipline, go there, be intentional about it. And the time may be different for you too. Malia's more of a morning person typically, or early afternoon, those are great for her. I would prefer the late evenings or later into the night, but that doesn't always work. So at least three days a week, I get up at 5 a.m. to intentionally find place and time of silence and solitude. Because some nights I don't, I can't, I, I'm hoping, okay, I'll get the kids down about 8, they'll be asleep by 8.30, and then inevitably it's that night that someone's up at 11, right? And I didn't have the, the I'm just back and forth trying to get them down. We have to adjust. Sometimes in seasons of life it's unpredictable. Sometimes it's even frustrating. But we have to work at this, and you're going to have to work at this. So hear me, no matter where it is, no matter what time it is, no matter what place or, or where it best resonates with you, the most crucial element is that you are actively seeking it out in your life that you're trying to practice finding places and times of silence and solitude. And I feel good because Jesus rose early in the mornings, as we saw in that verse sometimes, and he went away for silence and solitude, and sometimes it was late at night. He adapted based on his own schedule. So I feel good about adapting my schedule too. You just have to pick some intentional moments. It's going to require setting aside the phone. 
It's going to require you intentionally working on combating those internal noises, not through chance, not through poses, through the Word of God. Read the Bible, meditate or think on a specific passage. Focus on prayer. Get a prayer list if that helps keep your mind engaged in those moments. The key is that you are working to engage your heart and mind to be filled with God rather than the lesser things of this world. That's the key. So Christians, we we need to find times to withdraw, to, to be in silence and solitude with God. And we need to do that in the context of a grateful heart, a saved and redeemed soul, because if you're not a Christian, please don't, don't hear what I'm talking about today and think you can start here. Like, I'm just going to implement the discipline. I'm going to build science and solitude into my life, and that's how I'm going to get into the Christian life. That's not how this works. You have to start by understanding and experiencing the power of the gospel. The message that says you are a sinner, you are incapable of saving yourself, you deserve wrath, but Jesus died to save all those who place their faith in him. And when Jesus invites us to come to him for rest, it's not just physical rest, it's spiritual rest. He wants you to come to him and stop working, stop trying to earn it, stop trying to compare to others, stop trying to be religious enough, stop trying to present yourself in a certain way. Come to him with faith in his completed, finished work. Find that rest, and from that rest, this discipline grows in the rest of your life. The cross tells all of us how bad we are, how costly sin is. It took the Son of God dying there to save us. But that also tells us how great the love of God is, doesn't it? That he came to save his own. He calls and invites us today, come to him and find rest. So we're going to respond to him today. And I seriously considered ending the message today and just taking a time and putting a timer on the screen and say, we're just going to do this in complete silence. But I didn't want to force you into practicing a discipline that may be uncomfortable to you here and now because my goal is not just that you would practice silence and solitude in this place, in this moment. I want this to be part of your life outside of here. So I'm going to invite Wendy and the worship team to come. They're going to sing a final song about us coming to Jesus. And I'm going to challenge you to pray. You can pray right where you are if you like. God's there in the pews just as much as he's here in the altars. But if you'd like to come to these altars, they're open to you. If you want to pray alone, you're welcome to do that. If you want to pray with someone near you, ask them. If you want to pray with me, I'm available and open for that. Come up here and tap me on the shoulder or ask me to pray with you. I'd love to do that. But I'm urging all of us, let's seek to have the Lord motivate our hearts and give you a resolve to practice this discipline of finding silence and solitude outside of here. Maybe he leads you to start that today, this afternoon, this evening even. But let's pray. Let's worship the God who deserves our full and undivided attention. Let's learn to quiet those voices and follow the leading of the one who is inviting us today to come to him. Let's pray together and let's worship the Lord. That's what we're asking for today, Lord, is you, your presence, the rest that you give to us. Lord, I pray for every believer in this room, every heart, in this room that knows you to to feel a longing to deepen in that this week. To desire to leave here and to find a place of silence and solitude. Not not just to be alone, not just to be away from things. Be fully present with you, Lord. That it would be your word and it would be responding to you in prayer that drives this passion that I'm praying you put in the heart of every believer in this place and that hears this message. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you in this way, who never experienced the peace that salvation brings to them, who've never experienced the the joy of the gospel and their sins being forgiven. Lord, I pray that, that through this you would draw them to yourself. 
that many would come to know you and your peace and your salvation, Lord. We ask just for more of you, Jesus. Everything else, we would set it aside to be with you. Help us to make that true in our lives. It's in your beautiful name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen.